be preaching from Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 will be in in verse 1. This may be very predictable in that today is World Mission Sunday. We do this every year. Uh, this is the Sunday that set aside, as I mentioned. This is an annual emphasis of a year-long priority. You see, Mission Sunday is really every Sunday. Missions Week should really be every week because that should be a year-round priority for us, but this is an emphasis on that in that we do take an offering today for the general fund for the BMA Missions Department. Now, sometimes when you talk about funds and amounts and dollars, it's hard to get excited about this until you understand how they put that money to work around the world, both here in the United States and all over the world. They'll put this money to work in various ministries. Some of it has to do with mission work as you know it. Sometimes it's medical mission work. There's administration that has to be done as they recruit and train and care for these missionaries and handle travel issues and all. All this takes some money. And so therefore, we always come to this point and, and ask that we would kind of give them over and above what we normally give for World Mission Sunday. Now, it may seem kind of predictable that I would be looking at mission work as we look in our scripture, but here's why I do this. I want us to get the biblical perspective of why we do what we do. There should be a biblical reason for what we do here and, and, and why we're doing it. So we, we have the biblical perspective and the biblical priority that we'll be looking at today as we deal with just one aspect of our mission work, which is, of course, our work through the BMA Missions Department uh, for the BMA of America. And we're looking at Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the work you give us to do as a church here. Thank you for involving us and work worldwide to reach others with the message of your love. We ask that as we look into your word, that we would look at the biblical perspective, the biblical priority, your point of view this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We look at this passage of scripture, and we're going to notice the biblical perspective of what we call mission work. Two things we need to make sure we get straight. First of all, any emphasis on mission work, any success in mission work, any progress that we have as a church in mission work will always begin with a personal focus. It's going to start in here. It's going to start with each and every individual. There's been said that there's two kinds of people in the world. People who make things happen, and people who wish things would happen or watch things happen. And when it comes to mission work, 
when we talk about the work of the church, if it's going to happen, we have to have people, not a board, not an institution, but it starts with people who will make things happen. If we want an Awana program, it's because people roll up their sleeves and work to make it happen. If we want a youth program, we can't just wait for that to happen. We have to roll up our sleeves and make it happen and work for it. When it comes to vacation Bible school, when it comes to Sunday school, when it comes to all of our benevolent programs, when it comes to being able to have enough funding to do all of this, we can either wish it would happen, wait for it to happen, and hope it finally shows up, or we can roll up our sleeves and work. Here's the principle when it comes to church spirituality. The church will only be a spiritual collectively as we are individually. And if nobody in here is mature spiritually, it doesn't matter how many of us get together, we are all in the church is immature spiritually. And you see, one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is our willingness to roll up our sleeves or take out our checkbook and make things happen. See, here's the thing we realize. God can take our work and God will make this group of people this church, much more than the sum total of the parts. But let me tell you this. It won't be any more than the sum total if we're all not willing to get in and work for it. You see, it starts with a personal focus. We as individuals have to decide if we want to see these things happen, if we want the work of God to go on. But then we have the group effort. You see, we're better together. I can have intensity and faith, and I can work hard, I can give hard, and I can just work myself to the bone. But oh, when I have people with me and we can work together, then it's better together because we can get more done. Because when we all get together, I think we all know it, sometimes folks have better ideas than I do. And I'm not going to be able to thrive if all I'm dependent on is my ideas. So as a Christian, I need to get in where I fit in with a church family. And that would make me better to be able to work for the Lord. Well, that principle applies to churches. You see, our church, mission-minded church. Our church working hard to make things happen. But when our church teams up with another church that teams up with another church and we all start working together, we can do so much more all over the world. And that's why we have the missionaries all over the world, including in our own United States. And the programs we have is because churches as individual churches have all said, we're going to associate together and we're going to make some things happen that could not happen if we did not cooperate with together. That's what you call associational Baptist work. We are in the association to make sure we can do more for the cause of Christ. So when we understand mission work, understand it starts here. And we'll never do more, we'll never do more than what we as the members of this church or the members of the family of God are willing to pitch in and invest and do. So, we'll look at the church of Antioch. The church at Antioch is a blueprint of a mission-minded church, a blueprint for the success of mission work. Now, first thing we notice is this. A heart 
for missions. And obviously, this church had a heart for missions. Because this is the first instance in the scripture where a church specifically, deliberately sent some of their people away to go over there and preach the gospel to somebody else. And a heart for missions is the signature characteristic of a spirit-led church. Now, we talk about a spirit-led church, and immediately people start thinking about worship style. So, oh, no, that'll never work here. That's not going to happen. Be a spirit-led church, then that's going to affect how we do our worship and the songs we sing and how we do our music and how we do our worship services. Listen, a spirit-led church is not a matter of worship style. It's a matter of lifestyle. Because let us look at this spirit-led church. How do we know they were spirit-led? Well, look what it says. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. And they did just that. They followed the leadership of the Spirit. But what else is said about this church early on? What's in the DNA of this church? Look back in chapter 11, verse 26. Look at the last sentence of that verse. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, that word Christian was put on the church as a negative nickname. And why was that put on the church as a negative nickname? People saw them worshiping Christ. They saw them following Christ's teachings. They saw them living like Christ. And you know what that word Christian means? They said, little Christs. They're little mini-me's of Jesus. They are Christ-like. Wow. Let me tell you, you don't get that from a worship style that goes on only on Sunday morning. You only get that when there's a lifestyle of following Christ and living like Christ and loving like Christ. And so it's a lifestyle. And a spirit-led church, regardless of worship style, will change lifestyles. Now, I'm going to turn that coin around. If what we do here is not changing lifestyles, then regardless of our pattern of worship, we are not a spirit-led church. You can have all the excitement and all the everything, but if your church is not changing lifestyles in our day-to-day -day walk, we're not spirit-led. So the signature characteristic of a spirit-led church is people who will initiate and make things happen for the cause of reaching the world for Christ. And that means here and over there. Now, secondly, the obedience to send goes hand in hand with our willingness to spend. You see, this was a mission-minded church. We can see that. But where did it start? Back up to chapter 11 again. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And then we look in verse 27. In those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. This also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They were ascending church. What did they send? Before they sent Barnabas and Saul over there, they spent to send help back to Jerusalem. And this is something. This was a Gentile church. And they sent help back to Jerusalem for the Jewish church. Now we may say, well, aren't they all Christians? Yes, they are. But I think we all know sometimes people groups tend to identify with those other groups rather than they identify with their affiliation with Christ. So we had these people that were from this nationality. We had these people that were from this nationality. They didn't necessarily mix it up to each other, but the Gentile, the Greeks, the non-Jewish people said, we've got to help. Somebody's got to do something. There's going to be a famine, and somehow, way, they knew the church at Jerusalem was going to be in a bad way. They were already under severe persecution. So here they were. They took out their wallet. They took out their checkbook. You see, they were willing to spend. And let me tell you, if we're not willing to spend, very good chance we'll never be willing to send because the heart is not there. Because this is the easiest thing that we can give to the Lord is our money. Now, we might say, oh, yeah, that's easy to say. No, 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 no. I've said this before. You go to an airport, you have this young missionary family, wife and several children, going to go over there to Africa, the Philippines, New Guinea, and you watch them leave and watch the grandparents waving goodbye to their grandkids. Now tell me that it's hard to write a check. You see, writing a check is the easiest thing God's going to ask us to do. That's going to be the easiest thing he's going to ask us to give. And if we're not willing to do that, it's very unlikely we're willing to do anything else. So their willingness to spend translated into their obedience to sin. Thirdly, the obedience to sin brings blessings beyond our ability to imagine or even measure. I want to give you a summary of what happened in this passage of Scripture. If you turn over to chapter 14, verse 25, I'm, I'm going to jump over to the end of this this. Uh, mission project, this mission trip, and get the, the summary. They, they went on this mission trip. They sent them away, and they all came back, and they do what missionaries do, and I love it when they do this. They came back to the church and gave them a report, and they reported this in chapter 25 of verse, of, of verse 25 of chapter 14. It says, now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, from there they sailed to Antioch. They're coming back home where they had been confirmed to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported, listen to this, all that God had done with them. 
and how he opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. Now, this was a mission trip of four to ten months. This was not a short-term thing. This was a mission trip that was over 1,400 miles. And a lot of it was by foot, some of it by ship, but the, most of it was on foot, 1,400 miles. That's a long way. They went all the way around. They came back. But notice their summary. What did they tell them? They said, I want to show you what God has done with us. They reported all that God had done. Who did it? God did it. God was at work. They saw God's hand move. Who was in charge? God did that. And what did he do? It says he opened the door to the Gentile. That was huge. In other words, there's a whole new group of people that are hearing the gospel that were not hearing it before the church sent them away. All over. So let's look at some details. What did God do with them? First of all, God's word was preached. They went to a place called Salamis. This is in chapter 13, verse 14. Verse 4 and 5. 13, verse 4 and 5. Now being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They preached the word of God. Look down in chapter 13, verse 14. When they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went down into the synagogue in the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say all. And Paul stood up, and he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And he preached Jesus to them. You look over in verse 38. What did he say? Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believe is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Verse 42. And so when the Jews went out from the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, Contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. In verse 39, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. What's the common theme? The word of God. You know, we can do a lot of things as a church. But the Word of God needs to take priority, whether it be what's going on here or what's going on over there. Now, why is this important? First of all, there's the promise. You know the promise in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. God said, so shall my word be. 
It shall not return to me void. It will accomplish what I send it for. That is the, that is the promise that God said, I will bless my word. Now, we can be busy doing everything else as a group of people, but when we really want to make sure that God's in it and God blesses it and God works with it, we need to make sure that everything is done according to this and that first and foremost, God's word is being presented, whether it be in a Sunday school class, a Bible school, a WANA, in this sanctuary or in our lives, God promises to bless his word. But then there's the potential. You know the passage of scripture in Luke chapter 8, for Jesus said, Behold, that kingdom of heaven is like a man who scattered seeds. And he scattered seeds everywhere on all kinds of ground. And he goes on to tell how the seeds profited and blossomed and grew. The disciples said, you, you need to explain this to us. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, he said, the seed is the word of God. Now we turn that around. The word of God is like seed. Here's the thing about seeds. You scatter. They don't come up immediately. They don't come up immediately. It's going to take some time. They went everywhere preaching the word of God. And in every city where they preached the word of God, they left seeds behind. They didn't see results immediately for a lot of what they did. But you know how it is with seeds? Later on, oh man, started springing up. And the evidence was there that there was a seed planted because something started growing. You know how it is also with seeds? You know what grew up out of this seed? Make more seeds. So we deal with the fact the word of God is important because of the promise, but oh, because of the potential. And sometimes the results of what we do now won't be seen now. And we'll just give up because we don't see anything happening. What's the use? Oh, listen, what we invest in the word of God and the work of God is like a seed. And we just keep on slinging them because something's coming up. It may not be here and now, it may be then over there, but God said something is coming up. So we keep on keeping on. Churches are planted along the way. Over in chapter 14, verse 21. So when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, stop. They appointed elders where? In every church. There were no churches before this trip in those cities. They didn't just make disciples. They didn't just preach and people got saved and everybody was all happy because of the crusade on, on Main Street. It says all these disciples came together and churches were formed. Churches were planted. Well, what do churches do that are spirit-led? They spend and send. And it's important to know that churches are planted. Church planting is a priority with 
the BMA of America and the missions department. Not just to go and spread the word. That's good. We need to do that. But we want to make sure that these believers, when they come to know the Lord, have a family. A family to come to and to work with. Why? Because we're better together. And leaders are established to the work. That may not sound like a lot when it says that they commended them to the Lord to whom they believe they appointed elders in every church. What's this business of appointing leaders in every church? Well, every church needs a shepherd. If they would just start a church and then they would go, they weren't the shepherds of those churches. They were instrumental in the starting of that church, but they had other work to do. Before they left, they made sure their church had a shepherd. Did you know Paul spoke of this process in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We may, we may think of this as maybe a, an afterthought that he would appoint leaders in every church. But here's the principle, and this is what we should be involved with. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you realize reading this passage of Scripture, there's four people involved. Paul, the people he taught, and the people they taught, and the people they taught. Did you catch that? That is the principle. That's the process that we should always be instrumental and busy and deliberate about sharing what we have with someone else who can share it with others. Or put it this way, training others to do what we're doing. We should always be making sure that somebody else will carry the work on. Because, fourthly, our ability to send did not start with us. Now, it's easy for us, like the Church of Antioch, to say, man, look what we did. We were the first church that sent out Paul and Barnabas to the work. We were the first church that kind of officially kind of made a deliberate decision, we're going to send them out to mission work. Well, before there was a church at Antioch, before there was the first believer at Antioch, somebody else had a willingness to go. Look in chapter 11, verse 19, the book of Acts. Chapter 11, verse 19 of the book of Acts. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word initially, to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, that's the Greek-speaking Jewish people and the Greek non-Jewish people. And what they do? Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. 
before there was the first believer at Antioch, somebody was willing to go to Antioch and preach the word. Now, a mission board didn't send them. A church didn't send them. How'd they end up in Antioch? Well, persecution scattered them. But now it comes back to the individual heart. They had an individual burden to share the love of Christ with others. They made it happen. They made it happen. They could wait on something to happen. They could wish for something to happen. They could watch something else happen. But they worked to make it happen. Despite circumstances that were less than favorable, it says they made it happen. They preached the word. They shared Jesus. And these guys were not pastors and preachers. These guys were just believers. They were scattered. And where they went, they shared Jesus Christ. So Antioch, wonderful church, spirit-led church. But how did Antioch start? Somebody else had a willingness to go and to preach. Well, another church soon caught on. Look in verse 22. News of these things came to the ears of the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he had come and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that all, with, with all that purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Then he came and seen the grace of God, and he encouraged him. And then it says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed to Sarsus, Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Did you see the process? Somebody came to Antioch, and they preached the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Jerusalem called ears of it and said, we need to go and see how things are going. And, and they sent them some help. And the church sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas saw, and he saw, man, this is too good of a thing. We'll be to better together. I'm not going to do this all by myself. So where did he go? He went down to Tarsus and found a man named Saul, who would later be called Paul. Now, if you're reading in your Bibles, a lot of times you'll see the heading in chapter 13 of the book of Acts is this is Paul's first missionary journey. And I can say you could say as a first missionary journey is kind of an official sanctioned journey. But you know, before Antioch sent him away, he went on a missionary journey from Saul, from Tarsus to Antioch. Paul's first journey was not when he was sent away, Paul came to Antioch. He came to Antioch first. And you know, before there was a church at Jerusalem, somebody sent them there. The first chapter of the book of Acts, as Jesus was about to ascend, he said, y'all go and stay in Jerusalem. Now, nobody lived there. Nobody lived there. They were from Galilee. Most of them were from way off. And he said, you need to stay at Jerusalem and you wait for the power of God. And then those disciples who waited at Jerusalem, who weren't from there, became known as the church at Jerusalem. You see, before there was a church to be able to go investigate, 
what was going on in Antioch, somebody sent them there. Who sent them there? Jesus sent them there. Jesus sent them there. And they were willing to go. And they were willing to start a church. Then they were sent by the hand of God to Antioch. And of course, the church of Jerusalem said, let's go help them out. And then Antioch sent these men away. Churches were started. And you know, they sent people away. And those churches sent people away. And those churches sent people away. And before too long, somebody sent people over here to the United States when our country was just getting started. They sent people here to evangelize the colonies. Those churches were started, and then other churches were started. And somewhere around 1880, somebody came into this community and started Bristol Baptist Church. Now, I'm loving the fact that we're a mission-minded church. I'm loving the fact that we can send people and we can be instrumental in sending people all over the world. and We can reach people here, but let me tell you, before we were sent the first person anywhere, somebody sent somebody here, didn't they? You see, that's, that's why mission work is so important. We're a, we're a product of mission work. We're, we're not producing mission work. We're a product of it. And God just wants us to continue, to continue the work. Now, what about our efforts? What about our offerings? What about what's, what's going to happen with what we're doing? What guarantees do we have? Well, the possibilities are beyond our imagination. And we've seen that with the different mission partners we've had. But can, can I give you the final mission report? The final mission report's found in the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. The final mission report. Why is mission work important? Because God promised to bless it. God told us to do it, which is enough. But God promised to bless what we do with the word of God. And he said that it will happen. The word will accomplish what it is intended to accomplish. And then he says, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, before you get discouraged and think it, that it's, it's not going to work out, nothing will, nothing will happen, too much going against us. And verse 9 of Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, listen to this part, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, made us kings and priests to God, and we shall reign on the earth. You have redeemed us out of what? Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. It's going to happen. Now, this was the 24 elders. Now, I don't know anything about who these were, but I do know that they weren't angels. They were people because people are the only individuals and the entities that can be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So these were saved people, and they said about their salvation, man, we come from everywhere around the world. What did Jesus say when he started it all? Go into every world, make disciples of all nations. That word nation means people group, ethnic groups. It would be a language, skin color, culture, 
political boundaries. He says, this is what I want you to do. And then he wraps it all up in the New Testament and said, hey, I want you to get a glimpse of the future. You know what I told you to do 2,000 years ago? It's going to get done. And the question is, will we be a part of it? Will we be working for it? Will we be making it happen? Or are we just going to be watching it happen? That's the question. It's going to happen. Are we going to get on board? We're preparing an invitation for him. Here's the whole focus of mission work is this. If there's a lost soul in this building, you don't know Christ, you're the focus of mission work. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and he asks us to seek that's lost and carry them to Jesus Christ. You are the focus of mission work. He wants you to be saved, and he's gone through all this trouble and expense to reach you with the message that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and offer salvation to a lost and hopeless world. Are you in? Do you know Christ? Now let me ask the question. Are we working to make things happen? Or are we just waiting and watching things happen? It starts here before it can translate to what the church is doing. Where are we? When it comes to mission work, as we stand and sing. Number 113.